Hello and welcome to the MESPA Principal Cast. This is Brett Domstrand, Principal at Lake Marion Elementary in Lakeville, Minnesota. And we want to say thank you very much for listening and for subscribing to the MESPA Podcast. Um, today's special guest is one of our very own here in Minnesota, also going to be a keynote speaker at the MESPA Institute here in February. In fact, that's February 2nd through 4th. And if you go to mespa.net and then right away click register, you can still sign up for Institute right now. And so let me reveal our next guest, the one and only Dr. Brad Gustafson. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Brad, super excited. That was such a great intro. You almost had me trying to re-register for the Institute, but I've already registered, so I will see you there. <laughs> that, that's awesome. And Brad has been on the podcast before, but uh, we're excited to have him as our keynote speaker today. And, you know, Brad, for many of you who don't know who Brad is, he is, he's written three books, he's led podcasts, he's a, he's a literacy guru now, but uh, it, it, Brad, what's so awesome about having you here is that as you were a mentor of mine when I was teaching and before I ever became a principal, I got to connect with you. And we talked about that in the previous podcast episode, but now what I'm noticing as I'm reading the six literacy levers is your evolution as both a writer and in your journey as a leader in your building. And it really comes through clearly in Six Literacy Levers. So why don't we just start right away with your book and, and talk about what inspired you to, to come up with this, I don't want to say idea, but it's a great concept of, of how you've written this book. Talk a little bit about what, how this came to be. Wow, Brett. So it's always, I always love talking to you. And I do remember driving with you to ed camps and different PD around the cities and maybe even out of state. I don't remember everywhere we cruise, but um, great to reconnect again. So, and thanks for mentioning the evolution, you know, as a leader or a, a principal and a writer, I guess I don't think about that too much, but, but I pause when I hear you say that because I think, I think I probably have grown. So Most here, definitely. and this is really part of what inspired the book. It's where I started as a leader and probably being fully honest, like my deficiencies or the things that I didn't even know that I didn't know. And, and that ended up being a disservice to the kids I was either teaching or, or leading. So the, I guess the impetus for the six literacy levers is having grown over the last several years, it, it, part of it is sharing, like, how has our team, how has our school evolved together and strengthened our reading culture and, and you know, come together to be more in tune with kids reading identity because it doesn't just happen. I firmly believe that leadership matters. It's not just from the main office, from the principal office, but let me tell you when teachers and, and kids and readers have it from the office, it makes all the difference in the world because we help, we influence the budget. We collaborate on so many different things that can make it easier like if we have an active posture towards literacy leadership and support, our readers infinitely benefit. It, contrast that with how I was several years ago. And I think, Brad, I, I think I thought I was supportive, which I was. If someone had an idea, I, I wanted to encourage them or support them, but I wasn't actively engaged in the work like, like I am now. And, and just personally, there's a huge difference. There's a big gap there that I didn't even know about before. So the book kind of unearths and helps people uh, including principals see like not only here's here's why these certain things these six levers matter but here's um, how you might leverage them and, and then also some stories that make them really sticky so that you'll actually remember them and they'll connect in a way that when you're done reading the book you'll you'll be able to you know build your team's capacity too 
It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. And there are useful tools that you can take and use tomorrow or uh -huh. today. You can actually, as, as I've been reading the book, I, I can tell you that just early on in the first three chapters, it, it sets you up to have the mindset mm -hmm. to, to be really thinking about where are you in your literacy journey as a leader? And then it's okay if you're not where you think you should be. And, and like, you don't need to beat yourself up or go, oh, I'm not oh. that. But instead, here are those tools that you can use to help you take the steps to move in that direction. Yeah, you nailed it. And so the intent of the book is also to meet, meet leaders wherever they're at so that they don't have to feel bad about that because I thought I, I I was doing the best I could I always do the best I could but it's it's to try to actually capitalize and leverage strengths that you actually have and apply those to literacy leadership which is actually kind of a cool uh, concept I'm going to tell you a quick secret that I don't think I've told anyone Brett certainly not on a podcast um, about the book so you noticed it but I'm going to tell you why I think you noticed it that book was rewritten. So it, I finished the book kind of in the middle of the pandemic, um, but it was a book of ideas, right? So if you're wondering like, wow, this is heavy with practical stuff and ideas, it started out as a book of basically just ideas. And then I, I rewrote it because I did, I, I needed it to be better. And I, you know, connected with trusted people and got some great feedback. So it still is full of ideas, but now I think it's so much better. And that's probably also part of what evolved and what you noticed. But I think it's kind of cool to, when I even reread it or reference it, it is dripping with practical ideas um, that are also now a lot stickier and a lot more, I, I hope, relevant, understandable, accessible. Well, it's because it, it's not just the ideas. It's actually images. It's actually like, here's how you do it. Here's how you think about it. Like, And, and, and I'm even going to say from like, I, I think I said this in the last episode but, uh, with you that, that I read Reclaiming Our Calling while I was on a beach in Mexico. <laughs> and, and, and it was such a, it, it, for me, it was such a, a great re-energizing book. And it was also nice thinking about, I know this person, I know Brad, and I'm reading a story that's about Brad, but it's also got so much inspiration in it about our kids and, and how we lead. And this, this still has that same feeling, Brad. And so I, I've noticed between Renegade Leadership, Reclaiming Our Calling, and now with Six Literacy Levers, you are, um, you're willing to put yourself out there and share some personal stories, even ones that aren't always the, the best beginning or the best, like, they don't feel comfortable. We all know as principals, like, oh, I've been there. I know that. Um, talk about how that philosophy or how that came into your writing style. Yeah, you know, well, it's a couple of things. When, when I write, I try to write in a manner that's helpful and authentic. And so here's a quick example. When I read uh, Culturized by Jimmy Casas, like yeah. that's a book that I could read and reread. It was inspiring. It was practical. It pushed me. It challenged me, but it was memorable. And there were just authentic stories. So um, I've always kept that in the back of my mind that stories, uh, when used purposefully, there's, there's power there. There's heart there. And I guess the best stories are the ones that, the ones that I'm most familiar with. And I hope I hope this comes out in the keynote too, when we're together at Institute, like stories aren't always great or they don't always start out great. Sometimes our best stories and learning happen through authentically challenging moments or even embarrassing moments and not sharing those things for the sake of just sharing them, but there's real learning and, and pivoting and, and thinking that happened, growth that yeah. happens that served readers. So I, I, 
I think I just kind of show up and or I try to show up in that way. And I, I hope it's helpful. And maybe it doesn't work for everyone. But I do know, like in the six literacy levers, there are different layers of stories. So I, hopefully there's something for everyone. But each chapter starts out with what I would kind of call a leadership fable. or So it's grounded in like real stories that principals can probably relate to. So it humanizes this work in this conversation because we this is about connecting with people and readers and hearts and minds and their motivations it's not just about the technical aspect of literacy or research and things like that so there's a story that weaves through the whole book and hopefully people kind of fall in love with and look forward to at the beginning of each chapter for that but then i also layer on some stories from principaling and my own family and good things and bad things and hard things that also I think will sound really real because my kids are not that abnormal. I like, I think they would be like a lot of nieces and nephews that, or kids that principals might have, and or they might see their own students in some of the stories. And then there's the school layer to it with all that practical stuff um, jammed in. So that's kind of how the, the book was built. And then Brett, the part I think I'm most jazzed about is it's, intended to be helpful for individual leaders. And again, when I say leader, you could lead, some leaders are, um, the strongest leaders in our school are often in classrooms, we'll put it that way. Yes. So I'm not just talking about principals here, but anyway, it's intended to help individual leaders, but also teams. So there are so many elements that were like, if you're on a team, I wanna make sure this book helps you and your team initiate conversations about practice. And, and how we're utilizing the budget and building the schedule and supporting and protecting and nurturing the, the lives and identities of readers. So that's kind of like the, the double delivery or the double promise. I hope this helps you, Brett, but I also hope that it helps you be comfortable and excited to bring it to one colleague and say, let's read this together, or maybe even a whole team or a school. Well, you know, it's, and it's interesting because you, you referenced a couple of times that, it, you know, while while it's important that we we want all kids to achieve right like that that's that's a foundation but we but it's not just about how they perform on a test score or how we're seeing how they're doing on the other elements it's really about building that love of literacy and really creating that natural kids want to because they can not because we're saying it's time to drop everything and read everyone get out your books because I said so it's really what books do you want how do I'm excited about reading and I'm hoping I'm passing that energy on into you to get excited about reading and that's where I'm when I when I mentioned the evolution in the beginning um, that's also something I've noticed that's changed in the way that you talk the way that you frame some conversations um, is is Brad you are a literacy lover I mean, like uh, to use the alliteration, a literacy lover, but it, it really is true. I, I, I am witness to this. And as I read this, I'm just going, look at this. Like Brad has totally, not, not that you weren't, you didn't love literacy when you first started. I'm not saying that, but like, I, I see that in your evolution of how you lead and how impactful, you know, building that love of reading in our kids, every single one of them is, is key to how we're going to lead. Thanks for like, I love talking to you because you're causing me to reflect more deeply than I do when I'm just sitting alone. But like, I, here's a story. I, I don't think this one's in the book. I used to talk about books, but guess what? It was always the same book, right? You know, my same five that I loved and they're great books, but what I've come to learn and just kind of evolved is that kids also deserve new and current books. It can't just be Brad's favorite book from 10 or 20 years ago. 
there's a whole world of current and relevant literature that, that will also help empower kids to see themselves and their classmates in the world in it. And that's been a big part of my growth too, that I guess I hadn't thought, I, you know, I don't pause enough to think about, but I'm reading quite often and prioritizing that in a way that now it fills my bucket instead of always relying on, you know, one book that I would read in classrooms. I'm just reading a lot more widely. And I understand this is a big part of the book too. It's helping uh, educators find their reading flow zone, I call it. And really your reading flow zone will, will look and feel and sound different than mine. The things that the catalyzing, reinforcing things that set you up for success as a reader are going to be different than what I have. Although there's one of the things I talk about is just starting, like actually reading is a big thing. Don't wait until you're hundred percent motivated. Cause sometimes that doesn't happen, especially during pandemics, but being a reader myself now, and also struggling with when it's hard. Like there were months during the pandemic, Brett, I couldn't pick up a book and it felt so weird. Like my energy, you would think with quote unquote, the extra time, or at least in the time in my house quarantining that you would just plow through books, but my bandwidth was zero or it was negative 10. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, you know, I, I was able to, I don't know, grow or get through that a little bit, but, um, readers understand the behaviors that readers do. And now I do a little bit more. I can speak that language with teachers. So fortunately I serve alongside quite a few teachers who hung with me through the years and faithfully talked about books and didn't give up on me and they rubbed off on me. And now I'm open to the fact, and I guess owning, owning the fact that they need me as well. It's not just the literacy interventionists or reading teachers in our school, like principals I think are called to be literacy leaders as well. You know, are, so Brad, are you, so, so it's interesting that you mentioned about um, during, during the pandemic when we were all kind of at home for a while, um, that, that it was hard to read, because I think we all felt a little bit of that, like, okay, so now what do I do? And it's like our brains almost had to, to rewire, but you were a constant consumer of, of young adult fiction. Um, I mean, you were making book recommendations, you were devouring so many books, and that was part of what led my list and the things that I would choose to buy to go, all right, you know what, I'm gonna take a look and see, see, see what these are, and um, which led me to like Grenade, which led me to, I mean, like, I'm like, as I think about like, it, it does have an influence, and when I right here, like, social media influencers, huh? and I'm like, you think of maybe what's on Instagram, or what uh, um, those kind of things, but but Brad, you're also, you're, you're sharing all those messages of the books you're reading. Now, you you just mentioned um, that, that you have kind of ventured off into a wide variety of texts that you're reading. So are, are you reading a lot of books that are of high interest to, to you, or are you still continuing to read a lot of, uh, of texts for kids? Or what, what, what does that look like? And how's that evolution happened? Yeah, it's actually a why. I, first of all, I read primarily what I want to read and what I'm excited to read. And sometimes I'm excited to read something because a friend or a colleague recommends it. If someone I care about <laughs> recommends a book to me, I'm more inclined to read it. Um, but the percentage of P I used to only read, read PD books for, you know, learning about innovation and pedagogy and, you know, things like that, personalized learning. But now I have much more balance. In fact, I'm probably like 75% young adult books that, you know, are fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh graders would read, sprinkle in some picture books and things like that. And it's for me, like I genuinely enjoy those books. If I'm being honest, it's, mm -hmm. I tr you know, I try to read the good ones. And if I don't enjoy them, I will abandon them or not finish them, which is another, another important conversation, but that's how I break it down. And here's like just the little anecdotal stories I think matter. 
kids are coming up to me every once in a while asking for book recommendations. That never happened before when I was, <laughs> when I wasn't reading. That's cool. Like that's a really cool thing. And then for me to drop a book off on their desk with a little post-it note, because I know them, but I also think I know what they would read. Or if they tell me, for, like you just alluded to Alan Gratz, yeah. if they tell me I love Alan Gratz, I maybe could get them the next book and things like that. That's, that's part of the deal. The other thing that's been really powerful is, for example, at IEP meetings, when we're talking about kiddos or 504 meetings, or just any meeting where a kiddo's struggling, maybe with anxiety, maybe with uh, having special abilities, different abilities, I'm starting to come across so many profound books that are difference making and empowering and picturing all kinds of different kids in empowering ways where their disability isn't the main storyline. They just happen mm -hmm. to have different abilities or mm -hmm. struggles. And I'm able to say to a parent or a kiddo sometimes, you know, I really think you would like this book. And um, Alison Gerber wrote Focused. Yes, that was focused. one I was recommending for a while at meetings because I've been having so many meetings with families whose kiddos have ADD or ADHD. And that book did such a good job of portraying the difficulty of that, building empathy, but also the hope and the power and the talents that kiddos have. So that's just a little microcosm of, of how this has all come together for me in such a powerful bucket filling way, not just for myself as a reader devouring books, but also like talking about them and, and developing greater empathy and understanding for situations that I'm, that I'm less familiar with. Brad, and let's talk about that personal connection. You, when you wrote Reclaiming Your, Your Calling, um, our calling, <clears throat> you, you talked about your own personal uh, struggles and some mm -hmm. of the things that were happening in, in your own life. It is such a, um, it, it's one of those vulnerability things that as I listen to you, it, it, it continues to draw me into you, you, vulnerable leadership, and but also inspiring and putting things out there and being willing to kind of make your stand on what you believe. Ah, make your stand, kind of like <laughs> put your put your stake in the ground, Brad. There you um, go. I love it. I it, love it. it. Is is that uh, it? It it is impactful. It is making a difference, and, and especially in times like these, where sometimes as principals we might feel a little wayward or isolated or or not as connected. When you put stories like that into books, it reminds us that okay, we're all human. We're all vulnerable, and we have to remember where our kids are too. Brad, I love, I feel like this is kind of an expose type podcast conversation because I'm giving like all these little secrets and things that people maybe don't know or haven't said before. So you're mentioning Reclaiming Our Calling. And within that book, if you remember, Mrs. McLean was one of the main characters and educators in it. And one of her main ways to connect with kids was puzzles, but also reading and books. Mm -hmm. so there is a secret layer of literacy, leadership, and love in that previous book that, that, was there. There's also several stories that kind of hit on it. But so one of those that you kind of referenced, um, some people, you know, I don't go around really sharing this, but I have Tourette syndrome. I was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome as a youngster, you know, maybe around second or third grade. So uh, like, what does that mean? It's not the Jerry Springer, Oprah Winfrey, like sensationalized, like I don't yell out swear words at meetings. Like a lot of people maybe think I'm just a little more, uh, twitchy sometimes like a, teacher uh, one time said it well she's like oh I didn't know you had that although you, you seemed a little twitchy every once in a while that's kind of how mine comes comes out sometimes um, and maybe I'm just twitchy because I'm get kind of jacked up and passionate about stuff <laughs> but I remember as a kid I collected baseball cards and there was a Minnesota twin I think his name was Roy Smalley yeah 
and I, so I'm struggling as a kid because it was, Tourette's syndrome was really bad as a kid. I had, my, uh, my tics were very pronounced and just awkward and felt like everyone was looking at me, which they probably were. And I came across this Minnesota twin who had, who had Tourette's syndrome and Brett, like I get emotional just thinking about it. Cause up until reading, I think it was in a sports illustrated up, uh, magazine article up until reading that. I felt like the only kid on the planet who had Tourette syndrome. And I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know what hope could be. It just felt hopeless and hard. So to see an adult succeeding, like in the real world and not being ostracized, it was the most liberating thing. And now fast forward to a couple of years ago, I read Forget Me Not by Ellie Terry. And there's a, there's a, the main character in that book. I think her name was Kelly. I might be getting my books mixed up, but anyway, she she has Tourette syndrome and it, again I I had never felt so seen and, and like why do I share that why am I connecting that I think that really matters I think kids uh I think literacy can be so empowering I, in the book I say reading is a relationship it's not just with the book it's with other people it's within how you're connecting it's within how we're presenting reading as a choice and an opportunity but we're doing it wrong if kids aren't ever seeing themselves in, in, in the books that we're offering them in, in powerful ways. And that's not my research that said that, that um, gosh, I, sh I should have this written down in front of me, but there's a, um, the, the woman who came up with the theory of windows and sliding glass doors. Um, and again, it's in the book, I apologize. But that is a very real thing. And I've lived, I've lived that in a small way. So I understand like when kids come into my office and look around or parents come into my office, they're struck now. I have books, I'm surrounded by books in here. Um, but they notice that there's a high likelihood that someone who looks like them is going to be on a book cover that's in front of them, probably many. Mm -hmm. And it's like this celebration of who we are, who we want to be, who we can be, and that everyone matters and everyone belongs. It's pretty powerful, Brad. And that's, see, and that again goes to the evolution. So if we were talking 10 years ago, Brad, Brad Gustafson principal, um, did you lead that same way? Did you have those books out? Is that the way? Um, no. Right. So it's a change. It's almost like a yep. shift in mentality of how you approach literacy, how you think about your own passion, about what you love to read. I personally, like, I love to read espionage and spy novels. Yeah. I just, I, I could pretty much consume certain authors. I, every time a new one comes out, I just want to read it and I devour it in a weekend. It's it, like, that would be my favorite thing if I could just do that all the time. Now well, I'm a little well, more well. consumed with research reading with my doctorate, but it's, it, it, you're right. You, you build it and then you model it with what it looks like. And then how, then how you're talking and then how you follow through with those actions. Those are all those things that come through. And so as you look at the book, that's where you start leading into those later chapters of really, here are those tools. And, and Brad, um, it might be, it, I, I know we're running out of time already, so I'm just going to be really fast. You organize this into six chapters. And, mm -hmm. and, and so it's called the six literacy levers. But talk about why you chose six, why you made it kind of in this order of, of what, how you presented it. Um, talk a little bit about how, wh why it goes the way that it does. Yeah, so if we want to have kids uh, see themselves as readers and learn how to read the skill of reading, but also want to read the motivation of reading, there, there are, there, there's an infinite number of things we can do with that. I picked 
six, I think somewhat unique metaphors to represent what I would say are difference makers that I've come across in my research, but also in our school's personal journey, you know, observing and collaborating with the other literacy leaders in our school, but also just through my own, you know, shortcomings or what I eventually learned or picked up. That's how, like, those are the levers. So here's a quick, I'll just give people a taste. Uh, one of the levers is an authentic invitation. And I'm not talking about the kind where a principal emails and said, all right, we're doing an initiative. I need a reading committee. Give me one volunteer per grade though. Like that's not an authentic invitation. Um, sometimes, and I talk about this too, sometimes an authentic invitation is us principals paying attention to the work and the leaders who have been doing it for many years and saying yes to supporting them mm -hmm. and, and being more engaged, not as a talker, but as a listener in their meetings and their work and trying to, trying to, catch up. Although sometimes it is inviting them. Sometimes it's a personal invitation where you need to invite yourself flaws and, and talents and strengths and all to say yes to leading literacy because leading literacy and being actively engaged is going to um, help kids be more successful in virtually every aspect of their life. I, I mean, reading is one of those things that will will do that. And sometimes we just have to invite ourselves and say yes to that. The, the book was organized to give educators several levers that actually work together too so at the very before the show brett you and i were talking about the last chapter and how it was just like whoa that's a lot of i forget what exactly what you said but a lot of good applicable content yes one of the tools is in the very back it's this image where you pick a practice any practice that you do right now because we're not trying to invent extra work for ourselves because we don't have time to do that um, but you pick a practice and then you look at it through any of the the levers, the lenses of the levers, and then we work on transforming or, or modifying that to be more impactful and supportive of readers and their identity and getting books in their hands and having them learn how to read and fall in love with it. And sometimes the levers work together. It might be, all right, in this situation, what's needed is an authentic invitation and also the catapult, right? Mm -hmm. the, that combo right there will uh propel us to to a new a new plane anyway that that's that's it in a nutshell it's it's so funny you say that and and earlier in our conversation you were saying that you know you're right you're consuming everything about innovation and and, and more on, on on personalized learning and, and those kind of things but really this book is also about innovation even though yes you might you kind of laid it off as well there's so many ideas that you could do but these are the ones we we're trying to make but it's authentic but it's also innovative because it's it's talking about how can you leverage these in your building and really make you a better principal and support everyone that's in your building that's yeah. in reclaiming our calling i talk about innovation as meaningful change right and that's really so there's a chap there's an explicit chapter now in the six literacy levers on creating co-creating a culture of literacy or a reading community in your school with 15 like here are some things you could do right now some mm -hmm. ideas and and what to do but one of them I forget exactly how it's worded but one of the 15 things is focus less on flash aka innovation for the sake of innovation and more on authentic reading experiences could be a conversation could just be time to read sometimes just going back to that and we trick ourselves into thinking if it's not fancy or celebrated on Twitter, it might not be uh, good enough or, or important or worthwhile, but sometimes just a, a basic conversation about a book, uh, giving mm -hmm. kids time to talk about a, a book instead of filling out a reading log, like 
That might be the most innovative thing you, that might be, be the most important and meaningful conversation you and I have in a PLC meeting, just learning or helping a team, um, supporting them as they're trying that. Your, one of the ideas that you shared with me that we still have right now in our library is when students make recommendations about the books they love and why. And just, okay, you've got 30 seconds to describe this book to do your book talk, or you've got, this is how much paper we have for what, and we're going to put it out on display. And so you've got to be able to summarize why is this book good for other readers? And like, and the kids love seeing, oh, I know him or I know her. And it like, it just changes the way kids think. And then they, they see recommendations from the teachers and the, and the adults, the staff, but they see it from other kids. Mm -hmm. And like, it just kind of keeps building on that. So those kind of, those are the ideas. That's just one idea. And Brad has shared that in other things, but it, it comes through so clearly in this book. Um, Brad, we're already out of time. And I, I just like, I, I could sit and basically record hours and hours of us just talking and interviewing because the, the dialogue is always something that, that makes us better. Each time we leave these conversations, I feel like I've learned something and and can be a better leader and the same thing goes when reading this book um yeah we are so better together like thanks for all the growth and stuff you do to help all minnesota principals but myself as well and i'm really excited to connect with everyone at institute i've been working on this keynote now probably longer than i've worked on any keynote so i am excited to to help and to share it and to rally alongside my colleagues in the state of minnesota it's going to be fun so as Brad said, uh, you just need to go to mespa.net and then click register. If you go on there, you'll see Institute. You'll see all the information. It's at the uh, Radisson Blue at Mall of America. It's coming up February 2nd through 4th, everyone. Please register. We know how hard it is right now to get out of your building, but your professional development matters too. And so we really hope to see you there. Brad, we're looking forward to seeing you as our Friday keynote. It's going to be exciting. And uh, will you have books there for people to purchase, I assume? Yo, know, actually, I don't think we will. So right now, just hit up hit up Amazon if you want to get a head start or just show up at the keynote and check it out. And hopefully it'll feel like, wow, that actually could that actually could help. That sounds like it's just what our what our school would get excited about. And Brad, as always, how can people find you? What's the best way to contact yeah. you? Uh, we actually just updated the website. So I'm going to say bradgustafson.com. We got some funny videos, some uh, content there that we think is helpful. So check it out. Excellent. Well, Brad, thank you again for being a guest on the MESPA Principal Cast. It's always great to see you and have you here and, and talk with you. And uh, everyone, make sure you hit subscribe. We're glad you were here and we'll see you at Institute. Thanks again, Brad. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for listening to this episode of MESPA Principal Cast. For more information about the Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association, visit MESPA.net.